It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book Lighthouse Faith. And now the I'm the author of the just released book, Light for Today. It's a 365-day devotional. Now, it's a bit self-serving to devote an episode of one's own podcast to talk about one's own book. And, you know, I debated about whether or not to do it. But, you know, truly, this is a time for me to really express more about faith um, about faith in the culture, and uh, and to have more time to explain why this book is important to me, why I hope that it blesses people um, who read it daily. Um, and but I didn't want to talk about it all alone. You know, joining me is someone who's been a frequent guest on Lighthouse Faith podcast, and is um, and will help guide the conversation about light for today, but also about the mood of the culture today. You know, taking the temperature, um, the climate of the uh, spiritual uh, climate, I guess, of today's world um, and get at the heart of why daily devotionals, daily prayers are key to growing in faith. Uh, my friend and colleague and brother in Christ is Dr. Alex McFarlane. He joins me today and Alex is an incredible, credible Christian apologist and that means defender of the faith. Um, he speaks to thousands of young people throughout the year, throughout the, his ministry and through his ministry, uh, Truth for a New Generation. He's a radio host, author, a speaker, teacher, you're teaching now, right, uh, Alex? Well, I am. And good morning, Lauren. It's great to be with you. And thank you for having me. Well, I, you know, I couldn't imagine talking really with anyone else to talk about this book because you've already interviewed me uh, two times on your shows and we've had great conversations. So I guess this is, we're, we're, we're really going to have just a great conversation. And this is kind of uncharted territory. You know, I've never really talked about one of my books on, on, on this podcast. Um, and this is only the second one, but the idea is that, I mean, you brought this up before we started, is that, you know, uh, you know, Will Graham was talking about how in their meetings that the, the most Googled um, uh, thing, I guess, is the question is, you know, I guess what you, you explained it was, does God exist or, um, you know, where am I going? And there is this hunger in this community and this and and I've been talking about this too about this the Grammy award winning song the song of the year is mm-hmm. what was I made for I mean that yeah. just shows you the mood of what this the spiritual health mood of the culture right Well indeed indeed and and by the way congratulations on the release of your second book that's quite an accomplishment and it's a great book my uh, copy of Light for Today arrived about a week ago, and so I'm already enjoying that book. And so I commend you, Lauren. But uh, I, I really think not only with your podcast and your journalism, but with your publishing, Lauren, you really are speaking to needs that people are, are grappling with. Um, as you and I are sitting down to do this program, there was a story in the news about three days ago how more and more um, secular slash atheist congregations are sprouting up. And, and it's, it's very interesting because, you know, when you think of church, I mean, that's a traditionally Christian gathering. 
uh, together for worship and fellowship and testimony and encouragement and prayer. But there, there's a lot of coverage in the news about secular groups trying to have a kind of a pseudo church. Here's the point. Um, we're spiritual beings. Yeah. You know, the Bible says that we, we can't live by bread alone. And as uh, Blaise Pascal said uh, several hundred years ago, there is a God-shaped emptiness in every person. And that, that, that need in our soul that is made for God can only be filled by the Lord. And so I think what you're doing is great, and that, I think that's why so many people resonate and respond, is because people everywhere, we're, we're human beings, we want to know what the purpose of life is, and uh, we have this longing to know our, our Creator and God. And I think that's part of the reason to talk about faith, to talk, to do a daily devotional. You know, I, I, I read four devotionals a day of various people and um and and uh, uh, including the scripture reading which is a daily bible which is a you know so you read the bible all the way through in a year and um i'm challenging myself i'm going to start challenging myself to read the bible twice through the year and not just one day but read twice uh read two days in a row um in one sitting because the bible the more I read it, the more I realize how key it is to getting the Word of God in you so that it becomes part of you. I mean, Scripture says, you know, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, so teaching and admonishing people. So you can't teach what you don't know. So the mm-hmm. idea is that to get this, this, this Word of God in me, and the best way to do it really is to keep reading Scripture. And to keep praying, and to it, and the daily devotional came out of that. Light for today came from out of Lighthouse Faith, where I continued to do the research and uh, pray and read scripture, and then these thoughts for the day came out. And after about four hundred and fifty of them, you know, I just said, okay, well, that you know, put that aside, and then uh, the. Publisher Broad Street approached me about a year and a half ago, wondering, it's like, hey, would you be interested in doing a, a devotional? They didn't know about these thoughts for the day. I said, well, it just so happens I may have, you know, the book already partially written. So that's how that came about. But, you know, I've talked with you about so many things about young people because I, you really do have your hand on the pulse of what young people are feeling. And one of the press releases that I got that I thought, you know, we wanted to talk about that I would love to talk with you about is the transgender movement and what is transgenderism and and what is it in relationship to God's word? Um, Mm -hmm. Just your thoughts on that in general, because I know that's a big concern for you. Yeah, it, it is. And, um, you know, it's funny, Lauren, as you and I uh, are recording this, I just came from Orlando, Florida. I spoke down there at a conference, and part of it was uh, open to the general public, and part of it was a pastor's conference. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> it was amazing. I was in Florida, and there were groups from Brooklyn, New York, Ohio, Virginia, even a group of four people came from Idaho. Mm. I mean, from Idaho to Orlando, Florida, that's a pretty long trek. Yeah. But, but they came to um, hopefully learn about how to uh, 
you know, be more effective at leading their churches. But what was amazing to me was there were, I'm going to say 10 to 15 percent of the audience were teenagers. And even like I talked with a young man, he was 15, but he felt like he was uh, at least an agnostic, if not a full-blown atheist, Mm. and yet came and sat through a bunch of guys in their 50s talking about church. And then during the breaks, you know, I had the privilege of talking with he and quite a number of teenagers, because here's the thing, as I said earlier, part of what it means to be a human being, it's just intrinsically part of who we are. We want to know these questions, origin, purpose, destiny. Mm. Where did I come from? Why am I here? And and what does the future hold? Now, you answer this so beautifully in your book and and by the way, you know, there, there are like 100 questions that I want to ask you. But on the back cover of your book, you've got one of my favorite verses that I, I've shared this verse with, I don't know how many youth over the years. But in Proverbs 3, uh, you know, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. And that's like one of my favorite scriptures yeah. about the, the need to to really connect with the Lord, trust the Lord. God does promise that if we will allow him, he will he will guide our life. And I've shared that with so many youth and you've got it on the back cover of your book. And I was like, yay, that's <laughs> that's a great scripture. But um, yeah, youth want to know now to your question about transgenderism. Um, here's the thing, and, and Lauren, I realized that um, what I'm about to say, some people might find it controversial, but, you know, as a minister, I'm duty-bound to tell people the truth. And sometimes as a minister, you, in, in counseling people, you tell people maybe not what they expect to hear, but really what they need to hear. Yeah. But um, gender confusion and, you know, sexual deviancy but but gender dysphoria comes from a place of pain and that's why your book is such serves such a good need because you're you're helping people not only find answers to the search but in the book light for today uh you're helping people that have been hurt uh you're helping them find the resolution which is in, i believe in the Lord Jesus Christ but here's the thing when i was in grad school um, and I was uh, minoring in my master's program. I minored in developmental psychology, and I was at Liberty University. And among our professors was a, a professor from UCLA Medical School that was teaching in the psych department at Liberty and uh, had quite a number of courses um, under this particular department. But um, gender confusion comes from things like early childhood molestation, um, or lack of bonding with a parent of the same sex. So I realize some <clears throat> might dismiss what I'm about to say as fear or hate. Mm-hmm. I assure you it is not. Um, it is honestly care to help people find uh, their identity as a human being, their value as a human being. And the Bible says that God made male and female. Uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And Lauren, what I believe, um, and and again, let me say, what I'm about to say can be volatile in our culture, but I really challenge ministers and Christians to courageously, lovingly, but courageously 
stand for truth in that God made us male and female. Every human being, every Mm -hmm. person has worth and value and dignity. Uh, But the, the answer to a broken and searching world is not to feed the brokenness, but to call them back to a place of restoration. And I believe that is in truth as God has revealed it. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, which amen. he offers himself to everybody. Amen. Amen. You know, what you said was so important because this is what I see in the daily kind of working out of life. Um, all of us kind of in a day may have a little hurt, may have some pain. And it's how we deal with that pain and how we deal with that hurt that determines which way we're walking. Are we walking towards the Lord or are we walking away from the Lord? You know, one of the things, you, and you brought out so beautifully, is that, you know, these problems are coming from a, a point of pain, if I've hurt. And pain and hurt and anger, you cannot just get rid of. You can't just think they're going to go away somehow. Some way they will be manifested in our lives. Um Anger turned in on yourself becomes depression. Becomes depression. Um, If it's turned in on yourself, if it's turned outward, or if it's directed in other paths. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, but you talked very well about that. And I've heard these stories, and I've read books um, specifically about how in the 70s, there was this sort of movement, understanding, and there was generally accepted that, you know, gender dysphoria and a lot of the gender issues came from the relationships with the parents in the family or molestation um, or some kind of dysfunction in the family somehow. And I remember reading, I forgot his name, the, the author's name, but somehow he said he was perplexed because the tables were just switched, not because of new information or a study or research but from a vote in the American Psychological Association. It did not come from new information, which tells you a lot about if you believe in a standard that is based on the Bible's understanding and the Bible's, you know, demands for who we are and the understanding of who we are, then you've got a foundation from which to stand, an objective foundation from which to stand. But if you don't believe that, then you have to stand on a foundation, some other foundation of faith in order to doubt the Bible. You can't, you're just Mm -hmm. not just, you're not criticizing the Bible because you know better, but you're standing on, you're standing on another foundation of faith, which is supporting your doubt. I mean, there are two faith foundations, and it's like you've got to, you got you can't just have blind faith. You've got to look at the the, the parameters. You've got to look at, and you've got a reason um, for what you believe. And you and I have talked about this before, and I have to say it again because one of the problems with this generation, or the challenges of this generation, they think it's about whether or not I believe in God. Well, it's not a matter of whether you believe in God, it's what you're worshiping. A Satan believes in God. You know? Yes. God is more real uh, to absolutely. Satan than any than any being. 
but it's what you're worshiping that makes a difference, right? Yeah, um, there was a great um, psychologist some years ago, Martin Buber. He was a, a brilliant Jewish thinker. And he said, in every life, there will be this ultimate thing. There, He called it an I-thou distinction. Hmm. Um, the, the question is not, will you have a God in your life? The question is, is it the, the true and living God? And, um, you know, when it comes to truth, and, and I want to connect this with your book, Light for Today, which, uh, again, I commend you on, on creating an excellent book. It's very inspiring. And um, one thing... Uh, if if you were one of my students, I would give you an A plus because Ooh, thank you. Um, everything <laughs> everything you say you back up with the Word of God, and um, one of the reasons I've always appreciated you as a journalist and enjoyed our conversations is because um, uh, you're not superficial. You, you are very uh, you have really drilled down and done the the work of research, and I, I'm just going to say this: that no no embellishment or flattery here, Lauren, but you're quite the theologian. Wow. And, and I I don't say that lightly. I mean, you and I have both interacted with many, many people, and I'm continually impressed at the depth and the, and the knowledge base that you bring to your books and your work, so I commend you. But uh, that being said, look, when, when it comes to truth and meaning and morals— uh, there, there are several things. There's relativism. There's pragmatism. There's even illusionism. Some people, you know, I, I've had more than a few college students, and I think they're influenced by the movie The Matrix, but they'll say, you know, what if this is an illusion? What if life, <laughs> believe it or not, this is kind of a position young people, um, you know, ponder. They'll say, what if what if all of this is just uh, uh, an app in somebody's, you know, hard drive? Wow. Well, they made a movie yeah. about that, basically. I think I with, with Ryan exactly. Reynolds. I saw the movie. It's like, yeah, they kind of made a movie. You know, philosophically, there's a word called solipsism. The idea that you know, I'm the only conscious entity, and everything around me is just an illusion or something. But here's the thing: uh, relativism says there is no ultimate truth. It's just everybody's perspective. Um, and yet, we know some things are objectively right and wrong. You know. Um, the the Holocaust was wrong objectively. Right. I mean, there's no denying. And and then pragmatism, and and that's where a lot of people are. Well, maybe I'll just try to figure out what works. Uh, there, there was a great thinker some years ago, G.K. Chesterton, and he love said, "Love G.K. Chesterton. Uh, our, love G.K. Oh, Chesterton. Yeah, brilliant guy. Very influential in the life of C.S. Lewis. But Chesterton said." Uh, our most pragmatic need is to not be a pragmatist. <laughs> so because you got to think about that. You got to think about that. Yeah. The, then there is objectivism um, in the sense that there is objective truth and we can know it. And that's where not only we have the Word of God, which so beautifully and so accurately you handle in your book, but there is what uh, many people have marveled over, the law of God written on every human heart. You know, yes. um, it's been my privilege to travel around the world, and I've been in developing nations, and um, people know right from wrong. Um, if you go to the rotunda of the Capitol in Washington, around the perimeter of the ceiling, 
uh, and on the doors of one of the chambers right off of the rotunda, there is um, this guy holding two tablets, and yeah. it's not Charlton Heston. <laughs> uh, it's Moses. Right, <laughs> and, right. But what, what's amazing is those Ten Commandments, it, we, we are not to lie, we don't commit murder, we're not to adulterate. I mean, the Ten Commandments are written on everybody's heart. And I think what, what we need to do in this generation, lest we lapse into hopelessness on a personal level, and lest we lapse into chaos on a cultural level, as daunting as it might seem, we've got to tell this generation that truth does exist. It's not Alex's opinion. It's not anybody's uh, bias, but it's the revealed law of God, which deep down we really do know. Yeah. Um, I want to take a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be back with Dr. Alex McFarlane and talking about life for today. We'll be right back. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. And we're back on Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Alex McFarland. And, you know, Alex, I just want to thank you so much for giving that incredible, incredible compliment of saying that I'm a, a theologian. And I, I, I really oh, think that that's an incredible, incredible compliment um, because I know th- people like you, you're incredible theologians, and those people I consider to be theologians. But one of the things I think that also drives me, um, there were a couple of things, and they also came out of the Lighthouse Faith book, which was that, it, you know, I was challenged to really understand the difference between God as a concept and God as a living reality. And this is a talk, this is a Dr. Tim Kellerism, and God as a concept was someone you believed in, but you basically controlled it. You know, it was like a credit card, um, you know, the bus pass. Uh, you know, library card, but they still have library cards out there. I don't know. But it was basically, you know, you're, you, it's basically something you believed in, but you controlled. And then he said, but God as a living reality is, is a reality of God, his laws, his precepts, his statutes, his love, his grace, his, mer- his mercy, all of those things. But you must mold yourself to it. It is not something that exists in you per se. It's something that's outside of you that you must mold your life to. And for many, many decades, centuries in the world, most people felt that way, that there was a standard that existed outside of themselves that they had to live up to. And that has changed in this world, in this modern world, that says the standard's inside of me and the world must adjust to that. But when... I was presented with the difference between God as a concept and God as a living reality. What I saw in me was not pretty. I saw the depths of my sin, of my pride, um, of my self-righteousness, of anger, of hatred, of prejudice. I saw all of that inside. And then that's when you realize, I can't save myself. I am not good enough. For anybody, I need a savior. That begins the process. And this, you will know this, and, um, you know, I've been taught this, that when you actually do that self-analysis and look in the mirror and see who you are, 
you realize there is there's just no depth that's deep enough that you can find to your sin. It is goes so low. There's just nothing that you can do to peer down and say, oh, I see the bottom. No, you will never see the bottom of your sin because you just don't know how bad it can be given the right situations. Mm-hmm. But the, oh, the promise true. is, is that, but you are more loved than you could ever imagine. You are more accepted than you could ever imagine. And it is that love that surpasses all understanding that is transformative, that I, this love is so great that um, it, it makes me weep sometimes. It just to understand that how loved you are. But it also means that I can recognize this level of love because I was given love in a family, in a physical yeah. earthly family. And I have that advantage over many, many people. They have to understand and learn to love um, in a way and feel love in order to give love. So thank you so much for that compliment. Um, this working out of who you are and what you are and what you want to accomplish in life um, is different for every person. God has given us talents. All of us have talents that we can develop and present them to God in a way that glorifies him. And I just want to make sure that all of my talents that he has given me glorify him. That I can love what he has given me as great talents, but that it can be taken away from me as well. Mm. Yeah, you, you know, the Apostle Paul, Paul asked a lot of rhetorical questions, you know, mm-hmm. one of which was, uh, and, and it's it might fly right past, but I thought about it. Paul said, what do you have that you did not receive? Mm. And really, the answer is is nothing. Now, we might, you know, work and practice and discipline ourselves, but life is a gift we receive from God. Uh, where we were born, um, our abilities, our competencies. And here's a beautiful thing in Psalm 16, verse 6. I love this verse. It says, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a godly heritage. And one day I I thought, what does that mean? I I really began to do a word study. Uh, The boundary lines of life. And and let me just say, and I want to get back to your book, but let me just say this, and I'm going to sort of get out in the danger zone. So, uh, you know, we, we ministers, we do that sometimes. The Word of God, Psalm 16, 6, the boundary lines of life. There, there are a lot of things in life that we really have no control over. Where we were born, when we were born. Right. Uh, you know, I'm never going to be the stunt double for George Clooney. Oh. Much as I, you know, it's just my height, my appearance, you know. When, when they were handing out all that stuff, I was in a different line, apparently. But <laughs> but you know what? You come to grips with this, and you're like, you know what? The, the good Lord, he must have known what he was doing. But um, even things like our our gender, and people struggle. One of the, some of the worst struggles are struggle with your identity. And, and C.S. Lewis, um, who was so brilliant, C.S. Lewis said, Almighty God, he he chooses so many details that we really don't have any other control over. And 
Lewis said, God moved heaven and earth, literally. In fact, Jesus Christ came to earth. Um, Lewis said, God does everything sovereignly possible to bring you into a relationship with himself. The one thing God won't do, though, is override our free choice or our oh, free will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and as it it's, might be scary, but one of the most important things to do is to um, give up the, the fight. And, and by that, I mean to fight against things that we simply cannot change. And and it really takes surrender, but I think it's very cathartic to, and maybe even somebody listening to the program today is at this point. And, and let me just say to the person who's maybe at a crossroads and just saying, you know, I just don't even know if I, you know, can I give myself permission to trust mm-hmm. that God loves me? Yes, he does. And, Giving up the the arm wrestling match against reality, um, it's scary. It's daunting. But what I would say, and what you lay out so beautifully in in the book, is that uh, God is powerful. God is merciful. God is uh, in, infinitely wise. He has a plan. And I want to say this as emphatically as I can muster, Lauren. God has a plan for every life. There's no one on this planet whose life is inconsequential. And that begins, though, and I say this uh, as a guy that's been to the rodeo and back, (laughs) let me just say, your purpose, your plan, your joy, every dream you could ever dream for yourself all of those things that you want for your life, it will begin when you say to the Lord Jesus, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what I can do. I'm going to trust you for the things that are only in the hands of God. And that life that I think so many people are searching for, and your book is a great kind of how-to manual for life and eternity, uh, I would just encourage people to read it, but um, trust God. Honestly, yeah. the one who hung the solar system in place and sustains it to this very moment, he can look after our lives, but it does take that step of faith and trust, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you bring out such a wonderful point about God is such a gentleman that he won't step over your threshold, your boundaries. But at the same time, God's love is as close as the air you breathe, you know, but he, it's his air in our lungs, right? The, like the, the praise yeah. song says, it's your breath in our lungs, but it's your choice whether you decide to praise him and invite him into your life so that the next inhale is different. It's just different. I, May I say something about that? Mm-hmm. Um, and forgive me for interrupting, but... Um, you know, one of the great uh, quests of, of psychology is to really understand human nature and uh, to varying degrees of accuracy and success. Uh, m- you know, many, many psychologists and philosophers have put pen to paper. But um, in the New Testament, in First uh, Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24, I-, I really think the most accurate assessment of human nature 
has ever been laid out Mm -hmm. because it says we are body, soul, and spirit. Now, very often people think, okay, we're body and soul. There's the physical and the non-physical. And, you know, in a general sense, that's true, but there's even more to the non-physical side because uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, you know, there's body, soul, and spirit. Now, the Greek words are sarx, psyche, and pneuma. Mm. Okay, sarx, like from which we get the word sarcophagus, that's our physical body, right? We Mm -hmm. all know that we have a body. But then our psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, from which we get like psychology, that's our mind, our intellect, our, uh, you know, memories, our knowledge. But then pneuma uh, is the breath of God, our spirit. And, And let me say this, when we, when we come to Christ, First of all, our spirit gets regenerated or redeemed. We're made alive. Our, yes, our sins are forgiven when we trust the Lord, but we're made alive. And what's so beautiful is this. See, God saves the whole person. Our psyche, our mind gets renewed. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it begins, the Apostle Paul says, and by the way, Jesus said this very same thing in John 17, 17 that we are our mind is renewed by believing God's truth and then one day when we leave this world as we all will and we're all mortal but then our body we get a what the bible calls a glorified body so uh sarks psyche pneuma body soul spirit the whole person gets redeemed yeah. and what i would say lauren is at a time when I've had young people, uh, I mean, I've literally (laughs) had to fight back the tears when I've had beautiful teenagers, brilliant, gifted, but they'll say, my life means nothing. I have no worth. I'm like, no, you have immeasurable worth. God Almighty says you are valuable to me. Uh, I just wish I could put this on a billboard on every street corner, Lauren, that God says to a hurting world, no, you, you matter. Well, what, and where is and what? Where does it come from that a child raised sometimes with two parents, but they could say in those teenage years, my life means nothing. What's what's going on? Is this a normal stage of teenage angst, or is there something deeper that's going on that you know, two parents, maybe they're two working parents, they. They have not poured really the love of God into their child so that that the child experiences true love. Well, you know, there there is verbal abuse and there are, you know, that that old cliche, uh, you know, hurt people hurt people. Very often um, parents that aren't able to, you know, role model unconditional love to their kids, uh, the cycle is being repeated and, you know, if if a young person who feels like they don't have purpose and worth and value, um, you know, they'll they'll impart that, you know, what we we, we impart what we are, hmm. whether for good or for ill. But I would say this, Lauren, to a larger context, uh, we're in the Western world that for uh, really six to ten decades of Western history and certainly American history, we've tried to build a secular utopia. And kids, I mean, they're they're not allored to hear um, that, you know, 
there's a creator and a designer. Right. Um, they're not allowed to see the Ten Commandments posted in school, even though that is the philosophical foundation of our Constitution. And parenthetically, let me insert that uh, the public display of the Ten Commandments does not violate the First Amendment. That's another show. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it gets back. I, I think, you know, there is a certain, you know, season of teenage angst in which I'm wondering, you know, uh, you know, I didn't ask to be born, you know, uh, but we, we're we're humans. And, you know, Aristotle, uh, my favorite Greek philosopher, <laughs> the law of identity, A is A. Well, what does that mean? You know, it's funny. Nowadays, people have this saying, this kind of like dismissive, they'll say, well, it is what it is. But in a way, that's true. We're humans. And humans were made for God. Yeah. And when we think there isn't a God there to know, it's very uh, debilitating. The good news is books like yours are helping people find out that, no, uh, God is real. Life is, is a gift. And I can know this God who made me and cares so deeply about me. One of the things you mentioned about the Ten Commandments, and I, I want to talk about this because so many people and many atheists bring out that, you know, many cultures who have not grown up with the Christian ethic or the Christian understanding or the Judeo-Christian understanding, they point out, well, the Code of Hammurabi has many of the same ethical um, guidelines that the Ten Commandments has. Um, you know, it's, you know, to keep you know, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, it's kind of a lot of things. And a lot of cultures basically have in some way the Ten Commandments edicts about, you know, adultery is wrong and stealing is wrong and, you know, killing, you know, for, you know, you know, for just, you know, any purpose is not the greatest thing. But if, you know, if you own a slave, of course, you can do that. But what makes the Ten Commandments different? And this is the premise of the first book, which is Lighthouse Faith, which is a premise that came from a sermon I heard from uh, Dr. Timothy Keller, and basically it lays that it's not the same thing. The Ten Commandments is not the same as any other code of of morality or law that is out there. This is a totally unique presentation of morality in the Ten Commandments. One, because it is God's word, first of all, but it's not just these arbitrary rules and regulations, you know, to keep, you know, the, the, you know, generations of people just, you know, busy. These are not arbitrary rules. It is their rules laid out with God as the head of the moral foundation. The first commandment, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. That is key. That's the light. That's the beacon. That's everything. That's the purpose now for the other nine commandments, right? And I've explained this yeah. a lot to people that understand other uh, that these laws are about keeping God first. The the, the whole motivation behind adultery uh, against adultery. You know, you can't commit adultery unless someone else's love is more important to you than God's love lust. It's about motivation because a lot of people will commit crimes and be upset when they get arrested or get upset uh, for other reasons, but they're upset because they got caught because it 
hurt them in some way. And a, someone who commits adultery is now upset because his wife found out he wants she wants to divorce him. But the pain is is because it caused the person pain, not because it caused mm-hmm. God pain. And that's a total motive, different kind of motivation. I don't just break God's law when I commit adultery. I break God's heart. And that's mm. just different. That's just different. Um, yeah. And understanding what God has given up for us, what Christ has done for us, the blood of Christ is, is cleansing. There's power in the blood to understand that this is not just, well, it's good for me because I believe it, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to impose my views on anyone else. This is saving. This is life-saving. It's like, you know, somebody's drowning in the ocean and you say, well, I don't want to impose my sense of salvation on that person and, and throw them a lifesaver. It's life-saving jacket. I'll just, you know, because I don't know what their issue is. I just don't want, you know, you just throw them that life jacket because you know it will save their lives. This yeah. is the gospel. This is the gospel. You can't hold it back because you're afraid of offending them or, you know, getting some kind of pushback, but it's going to save. It's for salvation, eternity. It's not, it's not about being on the right side of history. It's about being on the right side of eternity. That's a whole different motivation. Well said. Well said. Yeah, um, did, did you ever interview Peter Kraft? Um, yes, Peter Kraft is, and he's not doing any more interviews, by the way. Um, and really? I because he had another uh, his latest book, or um, he's amazing. He's oh, amazing. Brilliant. You know, we had the privilege. He he spoke for us in several conferences about a decade ago, and brilliant. I cannot overstate how much I appreciate the way he thinks and writes. But Kraft, uh, he said this. Uh, God seems intensely interested in right behavior. Mm. Why is that? And and he said this. I thought it was just very brilliant. He said, look, if everybody uh, lived exemplary lives, moral, that would not increase God or strengthen God. And on the flip side, if everybody lived, you know, reprobate lives, that would not diminish God. So God must have uh, a, an interest in, in, in calling us to those Ten Commandments, and the first of which is, you know, don't be an idolater. Don't put anything in front of God in your life. Um, Crave says this, that even in calling us to live morally and righteously, that's an act of love. Now, I, I studied into that, and this is worth talking about because, uh, Lauren, I've had uh, more than a few atheists at universities where I would debate, they would say, oh, you know, God must be on some big cosmic ego trip. He created the human race and said, (laughs) worship me. But here's the thing, um, and I'll be brief, but here's the thing. Part of God's eternality is that there is no sin or iniquity in God. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 23, that sin is that which brings death. And so, uh, we're, we're living in a culture that needs to get reintroduced to the Ten Commandments. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention the love of Jesus. But here, here's the thing. In, in, in God saying, look, uh, admit your sin, turn from it, and come to me and walk the pathway of life. See, 
God is eternal. He is the foundation of life. And the most alive we'll ever be is the closer we are to the one who is life. Right. And right. that's why God says, turn Amen. away from evil and sin. It's not because God's on an ego trip or he's some bad guy trying to squelch our fun. Or No, God knows that sin will be our undoing. And God is trying to save us from death and in many ways save us from ourselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're kind of... Um over our time boundaries here, but that's okay. I guess it's okay. It's my podcast, right? And it's yeah. it's my podcast. It's my book, you know. But um, but I appreciate you coming on to talk about not just you know my book, but just faith in general and how daily living is how we grow closer to God. It is revelations are great and they're fine, and some people have them, um, and I I I I'm just happy for them. But for most of us, growing in God is just a daily process. It's in the little things. It's in the please and the Amen. thank yous and the excuse me's. Um, it is seeing in the person who doesn't look like you the image of God. And how Amen. when you look at that person and then say to yourself, God loves that person. God loves that person just as much as he loves me. And so when you see that, when you can kind of create that scenario in your daily life, um, it changes everything. To see beauty, you ha you, it's like you're living in an alternative reality because now you're seeing things that you didn't see before. And you're still in the same place, same job, you know, same house, same body. But now you see beauty because now you see God working in your daily life. And it's a whole different understanding of the world and you're just happier. And so um, I want to give that to people. I want them to understand that God is there for you. Like I said, the love of God is as close as the breath you're, you, you, you're breathing. It's your, it's, your it's your next intake of breath, and it will make a whole difference. So, But Alex, I want to thank you for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast today to talk about this. Well, thank you. Let me ask you this. Where can people find light for today? <laughs> Totally forgot. Um, Amazon.com, I believe, uh, is the go-to place to get the book. Um, but I believe Barnes & Noble as well. Um, there are many Christian bookstores uh, that you can probably get it to at, as well. Um, I don't have any book signings coming up that I know of. Uh, um, it's just devotionals are kind of strange, but you can sign them. I've signed, I had a, a, a book release celebration last night. And every book was signed, uh, you know, but it's family, colleagues, colleagues, uh, um, acquaintances, um, a lot of people that came out uh, and, uh, and, and we hope to celebrate more. I mean, I had this lovely, lovely icon from uh, Michael Saros, Basaros, who uh, was in the, from the Greek Orthodox Church, and he thanked me for uh, the contributions to St. Nicholas, uh, the Shrine um, Church, which is the church they rebuilt at, uh, down at 9-11. So mm. um, I'm going to post some of these pictures so people can see because this beautiful icon and and I have just the privilege of being of meeting so many people uh, of so many uh, different denominations within Christianity, but also people of different faiths, um, that, you know, that came out as well. Um, so I'm very happy. So I just want to thank you for being on Lighthouse Faith. 
And thank you for discussing this uh, book with me. I mean, it's, it's very personal. So to have you, uh, my brother in Christ, to, uh, to to talk about it is really incredibly special. So. God bless you, and, and God wanna, bless the vital work you're doing. Uh, thank you so much. And I want to thank you uh, all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Um, have an incredibly blessed day. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.